0: Hey, buddy, do you want to say a few words about this show before uh, people give it a listen?
1: Yeah, I want to encourage everybody, if they want to uh, to learn more about the uh, Albums Are Dead podcast, to go to albumsaredead.com or visit us on Twitter. We could uh, Twitter.com slash albums are dead uh, on Facebook, again, slash albums are dead. And uh, where else?
0: We're on Instagram. Uh, and if you look for albums are dead on Instagram, how about that? We'll also be there. Um, I post a little teaser every week about what albums are to come. We're also on iTunes, and uh, I think right now that's the only place we are. We're going to try to eventually get to like Google Play, Spotify, all that. But on most podcatchers, if you type in albums are dead, uh, you're going to find us. Uh, Tell me, uh, do we make money doing this show?
1: We do not make any money doing this show, and uh, all the songs that we play on the show are for preview purposes only. So make sure to go and support the artists, even if they don't need support it's still the right thing to do. Go uh, stream their music legally or buy the tracks because uh, we want to keep above board, folks.
0: All right, folks, uh, with all that being said, I think we should get to our episode. What do you think?
1: Let's do it. I get the sense that the the songs are like experiments that you perform one at a time when you're putting them together. Is that an accurate way of looking at it?
0: That's a pretty good way.
1: Uh, how would you describe the process of putting together a Pixie song?
0: It's kind of like an experiment. We, we do one at a time. It's, it's like that. I don't know. To make a cool rock tune. as our goal. And we live for only that song. When we're making well, that song. And you know, we're trying to make it good. That's what it sounds like. It doesn't
1: sound like you're intentionally trying to create a bunch of songs that have this particular no, style to
0: No, it. I appreciate bands that have a are very stylistic and, and and remain in their particular corner of sound or persona or image, I I like that, but um, we're just not real good at that, better to just think about a one little two minute experience and try to make it good. Albums are dead. Huzzah! Huzzah! Uh, It's episode 17 with your hosts, me, the Slipman. Slip with five eyes. Slip!
1: I'm at NakedDix.com on the old twets, and what's going on, folks?
0: What is going on? Well, I'll tell you what's going on. Pixies are going on, obviously.
1: (laughs) They are what's up.
0: I mean, listen to this. Oh. Amazing! Uh, so to, still,
1: kick, still kicking around, Sans Kim Deal, but uh, still still up and about.
0: And so this week, it is uh, your turn to take the reins, yes. and you have picked Doolittle by the Pixies, and I am very excited. This is, uh, I believe, so far, this will be the most indie rific edition of this ep- of this podcast.
1: I believe so. I believe it is tied for the lowest selling album that we've covered. Pretty much with uh, with Hearts Dreamboat Annie. All right, so uh, in terms of sales, so, uh, I think they're they're right neck and neck these two.
0: So uh, besides being too cool for school, why did you choose this album?
1: <laughs> well, that's exactly why. I mean, it's because I'm too cool for school. No, um, love this album, and I've been waiting patiently since we uh, on our sister podcast, the Mezzanine Sleepover, at mezzaninesleepover.com, dot com. Um, we uh, we did a thing where it was like, well, what. You know, play, we did a little challenge where we played music and tracks and go back and forth. And one of the challenges was uh, play a song of, of uh, a, 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 an artist you wanna, whose album you want to cover on Albums Are Dead. So I picked, uh, I, I, I believe I played Debaser, and so I thought I'd follow through you with did. a little bit of Pixies action uh, here, here on Albums Are Dead today.
0: You did play Debaser. I remember that. Yes, indeed. On a great podcast. Uh, what's it called again? The mezzanine sleepover. Oh, people should check that out. Uh, Anyways. Absolutely. (laughs) Uh, So should we get into it? Can I ask you all the standard questions? Yes, you can. Uh, Number one, have you seen them?
1: I have not. It's just terrible. They've been to Winnipeg like three times in the last like 15 years and I haven't gone. It's ridiculous.
0: Didn't their first, like when they did their first reunion tour back in like the early 2000s, wasn't the first location in Winnipeg?
1: Yes, it was. It was like 2004 or something.
0: Yeah, and then, yeah, they've been there a few times, but you have not seen them.
1: Uh, I'm terrible with going to concerts.
0: I have also not seen them. That is one band that I have, not, I have yet to see. Uh, my next uh, one. Yes. Please tell me about the evolution of your Pixies fandom.
1: Well, um, let's see here. So I wasn't, I wasn't in any way on the Pixies bandwagon early, obviously. I was a little young um, in the uh, late 80s. Um, into the early 90s, I was actually a Breeders fan. Uh, in about 1994, I was I was into the breeders and really didn't pay any heed really to the connection that uh, that that breeders founder Kim Deal had to the Pixies. Like I knew that she had been in the Pixies, but I'd never really had the the want to listen. I don't know why, because of course everybody talked about specifically you know the sound Nirvana sound being kind of that Pixie sound. I I never really gravitated towards it. I'm going to chalk it up to um, when you're in your teens, you have like a finite amount of money. Uh huh. So you know, I kind of had to had to focus my, I had to laser focus my spending on on, on other things.
0: <laughs> or your um, or, or your five finger discounting. <laughs> go go back and listen to our episode on straight out of content, and you'll know more about that. <laughs> Indeed.
1: Um. So as the '90s kind of winded down, and I, you know, I started to uh, to delve in, and then uh, really the Pixies have really kind of taken their place in the mantle in the pantheon of, uh, of my favorite artists. In fact, um, on our sister's podcast, the visiting sleepover, uh, about three years ago, we did a, uh, we talked about our 25 favorite artists, each of us. And, uh, I ranked Pixies at number five. So they have, uh, you know, number five with a bullet. I mean, it's been, uh, more of in the last, you know, 15 or so years or well, a little, maybe the last 20 years or so I've, uh, I've really, uh, been hard into it. It's not, it's not hard. I mean, they, they, they have a, you know, a handful of albums and they're all very good. So it's, it's really easy to, uh, to get into and, uh, and enjoy. What about you when it comes to the Pixies? Uh,
0: so I guess the same as you, I think part of it in the early nineties was lack of funds, uh, probably yes. lack of will too. I mean, I didn't, I always was a music fan, but, uh, didn't kind of go beyond what the radio presented to me until, you know, the late half of the nineties.
1: Well, unless it was Genesis, then you would, then you would delve deep. Of course. Yes. (laughs) Way,
0: way, way deep. Uh, but, uh, I started listening more to Pixies, uh, in the early two thousands, kind of around the time that they got back together and started touring. Uh, Mm -hmm. there was an Indie Riffic club in uh, Ottawa where I was living at the time. Oh yes. They played quite a few Pixies tunes as part of their regular playlist.
1: I can only Um, imagine the dancing that went on.
0: Oh God. (laughs) as we hear the songs you can just imagine uh but i was like oh this is good stuff and kind of then worked my way yeah. through it uh the big thing though uh the, the big equalizer when it comes to finding music y- you got to admit is the internet yes uh being able to hear anything you want whenever you want of course through legal streaming on sites such as Spotify or Apple Music, right? Always, yes. Uh, But uh, you can access anything that you want, which is great because when you hear something, you know, when we were younger, not only did you have to have the money, you had to have the access. And and keep in mind, Doolittle, you know, not not a um, a, a tiny album, but not like a mainstream album. Like, you wouldn't have to search too hard to find this, but it wouldn't just be there sitting in the uh, top 30 in uh, Well your if local you were in Winnipeg
1: court. at the time Yeah I-, I assume you'd have to I guess kind of maybe be I mean campus radio would have been limited to campuses yeah at the time so you'd have to be on campus at, at the University of Manitoba or Winnipeg I would assume or you would have to have MTV I guess and be able to watch one of their alternative shows yeah That cool. would be it I don't know how else you would you would uh, be exposed to uh, to to bands like that here in Winnipeg, anyway.
0: And I mean, there was other bands like Stone Roses and Charlatans, yes. and those ones were also, you know, I, I was late to the dance with all of them yes. because you just don't have the means. I, I heard Stone yeah. Roses for the first time in 1996 at the uh, Toad in the Hole.
1: Nice. I was like,
0: "What is this new stuff?" Because <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know. So, I'm
1: like, dude, it's like eight years old. Yeah. Yeah, I. You know, and, and I would read the mags, right? You'd, I, I remember I used to be the I was the guy that went to the um, that went to the library on like Saturdays and all ripped you know posters out of rock magazines, like the full page pictures a put rebel. on my
0: a rebel. To all
1: put on my wall in my room. But you know, you would read through the, the spins and the and the, and the various mags, and you know, I'd hear about the about the Pixies, and they were a band I had in my periphery, but it never really clicked. And it's too bad. It's it's too bad because it's such good music.
0: Alright, and now specifically, uh why did you choose Doolittle?
1: Doolittle's my favorite Pixies album. Um and, and they're all very close. Well, uh eh, Indy Cindy not so much. But okay. um <laughs> but they're all pretty close. Even Trump Lamond, which I has a little bit of a soft spot for me. Um so I went with Doolittle. Uh, I think that it's got the uh the best songs. And uh, that's that's really it. Uh, it's all very close. Bossanova, Surfer Rosa, The Come Pilgrim EP, um, as we'll 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 touch on a little bit here. All very good. But um, this I, I feel is the, as as the as as the Macho Man would say, it's the cream of the crop.
0: <laughs> all right. Do you want to walk us through? Uh, well, let's
1: do the tail of the tape, I guess. Here, do I it. Mean, Pixies' uh, Doolittle <clears throat> released on April seventeenth, nineteen eighty nine, in the UK, and a day later in the US. Um, it was released on the record label 4AD and distributed in the U.S. by Elektra, and uh, in Canada, it was distributed, distributed by Polygram. Nice. Um, <clears throat> Doolittle is the Pixie's second full-length album, following the band's 1987 debut EP, Come On Pilgrim, and 1988's seminal Surfer Rosa album. Um, <clears throat> Doolittle peaked at number 98 on the Billboard 200 on September 2nd, 1989. It also peaked at number 8 on the U.K. album charts and uh, number 66 on the French album chart, which I have no idea what that is. So, um, Doolittle certified gold in Canada, the US, and France. In the UK, it's certified platinum, Oof. and overall has sold about 1.2 million copies worldwide, which puts it on par, as I stated earlier, with Heart's Dreamboat Annie, which we covered uh, a little while ago. So, uh, again, this is going to be one of the lowest-selling albums that we, uh, that we review. Um, according to the Wickeye, Ah. So, I'm dipping into the wick quite I, I, a bit tonight.
0: What a great source.
1: <laughs> the album has been cited as inspirational by many alternative artists, while numerous music publications have ranked it as one of the most influential albums ever. So, we're dealing with a uh, creative heavyweight. I mean, Maybe not is, so much on the sales side, but creative, creative wise, absolutely. This is a
0: quality, not quantity edition of the uh, podcast.
1: Absolutely, though there are 15 big tracks. So oh, yes, will be, that's right. We, we will have a lot to talk about, but that being said, you're right. Um, there's not going to be a lot of... Uh, there's, the, the album only had two singles, so we have a little bit of chart information there. A lot of it's going to be heavy on the... What do these songs mean? Oh, I
0: believe. excellent. One of my favorite and things. We have our,
1: our classic sources. Excellent. <laughs> um, a little bit of background here, because we already hit our, our, personal, uh, our personal section. Um. A little bit of background on the album uh, from the Discogs.com write-up. Uh, I'm gonna, here's what Discogs has to say about the Pixies. Um, combining jagged, roaring guitars and stop-start dynamics with melodic pop hooks, intertwining male-female harmonies and evocative cryptic lyrics, the Pixies were one of the most influential American alternative rock bands of the late 80s. The band were inventive, rabid rock fans that turned conventions inside out, melding punk, punk and indie guitar rock, classic pop, surf rock, and stadium sized riffs, with singer slash guitarist Black Francis's bizarre fragmented lyrics about space, religion, sex, mutilation, and pop culture. While the meaning of his lyrics may have been impenetrable, the music was direct and forceful. The uh, Pixie's busy, brief songs, extreme dynamics, and subversion of pop song structures proved one of the touchstones of 90s alternative rock. And, uh, you know, that write-up despite being in the past tense for some reason, (laughs) because the band still exists and is still releasing albums and tracks. um, I'd say it's pretty spot on.
0: Good for Discogs. Um,
1: Discogs Discogs.com. I love Discogs.com. Anyway, let's do a little bit of, let's do the real backgrounder here. Uh, Charles Thompson III, soon to be Black Francis, met guitarist Joey Santiago while studying at the University of Massachusetts Amherst Uh, By 1984, the duo had relocated to Boston, working in a warehouse while piecing together what would be the band's earliest material. Um, Kim Deal answered an ad seeking a bass player who liked Peter, Paul, and Mary and Husker Du, even though at the time she didn't know how to play bass. Um, Her then-husband recommended that the band seek out David Lovering to play drums, and the rest is history. (coughs) Excuse me. Um, After a show at the legendary but now defunct live music hall The Rat, Pixies were introduced to Gary Smith, a talent manager and record producer, who at the time was managing Fort Apache Studios in Roxbury, Massachusetts. Smith invited the band to record a demo at the studio, and they accepted. So uh, this seven, they, they, they put together a demo, a 17-track demo. Uh, the fans now call it the Purple Tape. It um, was knocked out for about $1,000 over three days in the winter of 1987. Um, <clears throat> eight of the demo tracks received minor facelifts before being unleashed to the world, and as the band's debut EP, Come On, Pilgrim, uh, in 1987. In March 1988, the band released their full-length debut, Surfer Rosa. Um, According to the Wickeye, because I know you love it, both (laughs) Surfer Rosa and Steve Albini's production of the album have been influential on on alternative rock and on grunge in particular. Uh So you know my ears perk up.
0: (laughs) Well, as soon as you hear Steve Albini, you're like,
1: (laughs) Steve Albini, right? (laughs) Yes. Um, Nirvana's Kurt Cobain arp, uh, <laughs> cited Surfer Rosa as the basis for Nevermind songwriting. Uh, when he first heard the album, Cobain discovered a template for the mix of heavy noise and pop he was aiming to achieve. He remarked in 1982 that he heard songs off of Surfer Rosa that I'd written but threw out because I was too afraid to play them for anybody. Cobain hired Albini to produce Nirvana's 1993 uh, second album in utero, primarily due to his c- contribution to Surfer Rosa <clears throat> the Smashing Pumpkins' Art Billy Corgan <laughs> described Surfer Rosa as "the one that made me go holy shit." It was so fresh; it rocked without being lame. Corgan was impressed by the album's drum sound and acknowledged that the Pumpkins used to, used to study the record for its technical elements.
0: And, um, he was, and he was so into it that he decided later to buy Impact Wrestling.
1: That, there it is. You <laughs> managed to tie this back to wrestling. Right yeah, you? of course. I already did with the Macho Man quote, sorry. Um, PJ, musician PJ Harvey has said that Surferosa blew her mind and that she immediately li- went, went to track down Steve Albini. Cobain uh, listed Surferosa as number two of the top 50 albums he thought were the most influential to Nirvana Sound in his journal in 1993.
0: Uh, question for you. What was number one? Do you have it? I don't have it. I wonder if it's, what's her name's? <laughs> What's their names?
1: What's their names?
0: Um, that Scottish band. Uh, what? You know? I'm
1: trying to think now. I don't know.
0: All right. I'm putting in what Scottish band was Kurt Cobain yeah, into? Yes. Look at you. Uh. Let's see. The answer is. Uh, I know everybody. I know. Isn't this great? Apparently, Kurt Cobain planned to live in a Scottish castle. <laughs> At yes! some point, that's that's what he says. Here we go. The top ten influences for Nirvana's Nevermind. Perfect, do it. I uh, got the, like, the Melvins, Red Cross, the Pixies. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Mudhoney, the Knack, the Vaselines.
1: The Vaselines.
0: Boom. There, you there, You're welcome, listeners. That was probably worth the last two minutes of your life. <laughs> All right, keep going. Um, so the band
1: entered Downtown Recorder's studio in Boston on October 31st, 1988. Spooky. <laughs> <laughs> to uh, begin recording their follow-up, uh, the budget was a modest $40,000. Um, the sessions lasted three weeks, concluding on November 23rd, 1988, with uh, nearly a song a day being recorded. Um, from a 2014 article by the AV Club's Evan wright here's what he had to say about Doolittle. Few albums shaped 90s alternative rock more directly than the Pixies' 1989 high watermark Doolittle which perfected the soft, loud dynamic that Nirvana and a tide of grunge bands would storm MTV with two years later. <clears throat> but just as Doolittle forecast the sound of 90s alternative, it also anticipated the anxieties about selling out that defined the grunge era nearly as much as these as those pummeling guitars and terse, tense pauses. Before Kurt Cobain was resisting Butch Vigg's overdubs during the Nevermind sessions, Frank Black was butting heads with Doolittle producer Gil Norton over his plans to gussy up the Pixies. <laughs> Gassia, <laughs> <Gussy> amazing, <laughs> to say the least. Norton's hands-on approach was a drastic departure from the just press record mentality of the band's previous producer, Steve Albini, who lent the band's first li- first full length *Surfer all the ornamentation of a basement sex dungeon. <laughs> Not only did Norton assert himself behind the boards, bringing Doolittle to a lustrous sheen with meticulous effects and overdubs, he also involved himself in the songwriting process, pushing Black to tweak song tempos, which he did and to lengthen songs with extra verses, which he staunchly refused. Doolittle's cleaner, more commercial sound wasn't lost in Albini, who in an interview a few years later chastised the band. Their willingness to be guided by their manager, their record company, and their producer is unparalleled, he said. Never have I seen four cows more anxious to be led around by their nose rings. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking Steve Albini. I love it. (laughs)
0: That's a great quote. We can end right here. (laughs) So good.
1: Albini later walked back the criticisms, which seem overblown now, and they really do. It's not as if the Pixies suddenly made a Brian Adams album. <laughs> but the comments exemplified how host- host- hostily the underground greeted even the faintest suggestion of commercial compromise at the time. Of course, few today view Doolittle as uncompromised, oh, as compromised. While Norton did play up the band's poppiest tendencies, he did so without diffusing the undercurrent of depravity, that made the Pixies' first recordings feel so dangerous. If anything, the jaunty pop of Here Comes Your Man and La Love You make the uh, violent outbursts of Tame and There Goes My Gun seem that much more subversive by contrast and Norton's mix milks just as much venom from the softer serpentine qualities of Black's voice as it does from his frothy screams. There's no... Uh, so that's... I think that kind of gives us a nice, uh, a nice backgrounder. Um, there's no sort of information out there about Doolittle, Uh, Like Surfer Rosa before it and bossa nova after it, it's uh, highly regarded in the circles of music critics and fans alike. So uh, you can, you know, again, we're not trying to give you the be all end all. You can you can dig down a little deep yourself if you're interested. But that's just a little bit of a cross section about the background and the recording of the album. Uh, Shall we go track by track?
0: Uh, Can I just read from the Wickeye packaging title? Please. I kind of like this. Okay. Uh, The surrealist and abstract images throughout the album booklet are linked to the album's content. Gouge Away is represented by a picture of a spoon-containing hair laid across a woman's torso. A direct pictorial representation of heroin with the spoon and the hair being horses. During the (laughs) recording... It's my favorite line. During the recording sessions... Horror was discarded as a potential album title nice <laughs> after oliver changed the cover artwork idea to a monkey and halo cover francis later explained the rationale for the move he said i thought people were going to think i was some kind of anti-catholic or that i'd been raised catholic and trying to get into this catholic naughty boy stuff a monkey with a halo <laughs> calling it horror, that would bring all kinds of shit that wouldn't be true so i said i'd change the title Nice. There you go. Uh, Francis then named the album Doolittle from the Mr. Greaves lyric Pray for a man in the middle, one that talks like Doolittle. There you go. There you go. All right. Thank you for that. Uh, So you're going to go to the tracks? Here's a
1: it from the Wickeye.
0: Let's
1: go track by track. (laughs) Um, Just before we do that, oh, you had something to say. No, go, go. In 2014, Billboard.com's Kenneth Partridge did a great track by track review of Doolittle. So I'm going to be sprinkling in his thoughts um, on every track uh, because, of course, Uh, on a, uh, an album like this it gets a little thin finding out, you know, some uh, official <laughs> things on each song. So uh, I'm going to, I'm going to use that to boost it a little bit. So enjoy. folks. All right. Are we ready to go? Yeah. Let's go to track one. Now that he's singing. Yes. Yeah. This is Debaser. Uh, released as a single on July 21st, 1997. To promote the Death to the Pixies compilation. So this is actually the, the unofficial third single off this album. Alright. Um, in 1997, it peaked at number 23 on the UK singles chart. I love the UK.
0: Oh, they got their <laughs> shit together, except at Christmas time.
1: Exactly. Um, the B-sides to this uh, long-delayed single live versions of Surferosa Rosa tracks Bur- Bone Machine and Gigantic along with a live version of Isla de Encanta off the come on Pilgrim EP um, from billboard.com essentially it's a film recommendation got me a movie I want you to know shouts Black Francis in the opening line just after deal's killer 16 note bass intro as the track progresses he gets more and more worked up like a nerdy video store clerk who won't let you leave without the VHS tape clutched lovingly to his bosom What's this cackling cinephile on about? En Chien Andalou, a 1929 surrealist flick whose most unforgettable scene inspires this sicko pop gem's most memorable phrase, slicing up eyeballs. Yes. So if anybody's seen uh, in Chien Andalou, which I have, um, it's a na- there's a nasty scene of an eyeball being sliced with a scalpel. It's disgusting. It's pretty cool for a film in 1929. Um, and
0: I have to comment. By the way, aren't you so yes. arty? Oh, I saw that film. Oh, my well, God. <laughs> when
1: I first when I first started delving into Pixies, I was reading about this song and reading about that, and so it was on YouTube. Yeah. So I took a look. Okay. And uh, yes, I'm. 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 You know me. Me and all my art films that I love. I know. Fucking Star Wars. Uh, Always,
0: always trying to get me to go to art films when we hang out. <laughs> oh, there's a new production at the Cinematheque. Let's go and uh, check it out.
1: So, from a 2016 article on the website Louder, some accounts claim that in the, verse, in the first version of Debaser, the line in Andalucia" Lucia was actually shed Apollonia, an oblique reference to the Amazonian co-star of the 1984 Prince flick, Purple Rain. Yes! <laughs> so, we get a Prince mention on a Pixies album fucking show. Wonderful. Yes! <laughs> this is a new challenge for us. Because oh. we've been doing it over and over all the time since we've launched this uh, series, <laughs> managing to shoehorn prints into everything. So there you go. Um, now, I, I don't think that's enough context. Okay. So let's let's see what they're saying over at songmeetings.com. Oh,
0: what kind of website is this?
1: <laughs> it is a website with lyrics and then uh, vast. Comment uh, threads where people speculate on the meanings of songs. Excellent. Uh, hilarity usually ensues. Uh, for Pixie songs specifically off Doolittle, so many comments. <laughs> so I've got them for every single song. This is going to be fun. Um, over at songmeans.com, commenter Chris one zero seven eight three one had this interpretation of Debaser: <clears throat> an album called Doolittle, and the first song is called Debaser. Am I the only one who thinks this might be a dig at Kim Deal, the bassist who did little but debase?
0: Oh, all right.
1: Um, User Kregis had this to say. This film was banned. This film, I guess, the film that the song's about. This film was banned in England by the BBFC.
0: Okay. The BBFC?
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. And yes, Slipman, there is a vid- music video for Debaser. Oh, is there? It's a, essentially a performance clip intercut with creepy images and some Doolittle branding. Interestingly enough, this wasn't a single in 1989, but IMDb says that this video was released in 1989.
0: So, I don't know. I don't
1: know. Debaser, everybody, great,
0: a, right. track. a great opener, great track, love it. It's, Absolutely, it might be my—I think it might be my favorite on the album, to be honest with you.
1: Uh, it's right up there for me, but you know, I got a soft spot for. Uh, it's coming up. We'll get there. All right. Uh, track two. Hips like
0: Must have a good shame. So We got Tame. Oh yeah, sorry, he's he's singing.
1: He's singing right away. Yeah. I, well he's he's creepily talking. Yes, That's he is. is right um this is uh, a non-single. There's only two singles left this album, so these ones are gonna go we're gonna cut right to the chase. Uh, Billboard. Billboard.com's uh, whatever, Kenneth Partridge said this It's at about the 22nd mark that Kurt Cobain must have felt his eureka moment As that's when Francis goes from whisper To scream and the whole track erupts We're going to skip that of course We're not going to let you hear that because that goes against Format uh-huh. <laughs> um, Apparently the singer thinks his lady is a bit too plain So he and the gang hit her with a double Barrel blast of crazy Then they reload and do it again all in the span of 1 minute and 56 seconds Um Song facts, another one of our favorite uh, websites, says uh, Pixies drummer David Lovering says that this is his favorite song on the Doolittle album to play. It's full of angst, kind of punky, he told music radar. Even though it's in a slightly odd time, it's quick and moving, so I get to go all out on it. Slipman, as a drummer, would this sound like a fun song to play?
0: It's not bad. I mean, there's not much to it for drumming. But, you know uh, more
1: than the drummer from the Pixies.
0: I you. do. I. That's right. But I do... Love- <laughs> I do like the yelling. That's what I like yeah, about this. Fantastic. And in fantastic. Uh, song mo-
1: meanings, what's that? I was just going
0: to say, most of my favorite tracks on this album involve lots of yelling.
1: Yes, indeed. And it's when they're at their best. Um, over on songmeanings.com, <coughs> commenter Muddy67 says, I always thought it was about a stripper. Oh, okay. Um, user Martin a. Eiso says, I always thought about this song. I always thought this song is about the rape of Cinderella. Ha ha! But it probably has much deeper and less disturbing meaning. What? <laughs> the rape of Cinderella. Ha ha!
0: Ha <laughs> I always thought that this song was about when Hercules would hop on Pegasus.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> I had to tame him every time he had to ride him.
0: That's correct. That's
1: Hercules cartoon. Excellent, that's the comment of the night Well done Let's move to track 3 Alright right. do it Wave of mutilation, you heard it off the top of the show folks um, from Billboard.com In the first verse, the narrator offs himself by driving his car into the sea But since this is a pixie song, that's not the end of the story He goes on to smooch some mermaids and search in vain for the Mariana Trench The deepest, darkest part of the world's oceans Even in the blackness, this sing-songy ode to self-destruction Would glow as warm and bright as a beach bonfire Okay This, dude, this dude's this got, got a turn of phrase, so I'm going to give him that huh Uh, Over at Song Facts, lead singer Black Francis described this song as being about Japanese businessmen doing murder suicides with their families because they failed in business and they're driving off a pier into the ocean. So (laughs) straight from the horse's mouth. Okay. Now, but but that being said. Yeah. You know, Kenneth Partridge weighed in. Black uh, Francis tells us what it's about. Here's what they have to say on songmeetings.com. Commenter, revamp, had this to say. This song very much made me think about circumcision. Oh. <laughs> Wave of mutilation seems an apt term to describe the levels that this had reached in the late 80s when this would have been written over 80% of the US, I believe. So we've got, uh, we've got uh, an activist.
0: All right.
1: On So well done. Uh, uh, revamp. Um, that said, user age xax 15 wrote this scathing screed. <laughs> you damn teenagers find any excuse to interpret a song as self-destruction just check out all these interpretations you guys are idiots this song is about Frank Black seeing for the first time his largest audience of fans but they were all fucked up and that's all in caps by the way (laughs) this song is a realization of not only what he was capable of doing but it all's a hard goodbye to all the self-destruction saying Cease to resist, giving my goodbye, and talking about all the destruction and beauty he's lived, rode the El Nino, blah, blah, blah. Uh, That's my added in there.
0: Uh
1: Uh, You guys try to interpret this as a negative song of being exiled, drug abuse, and even suicide, when he's really talking about his accomplishments in life. Just thought I'd say this, you guys need to start making life out of life. Interpret that. Oh, well... (laughs) Oh, okay. <laughs> Lessons you taught. Like You kids, stop By the thinking. Way, all, all the teenagers in, I believe this was around 20 something, 2010, all the teenagers listening to Pixies. <laughs> yeah, right. Down on songmeetings.com. Yeah,
0: yeah. Some fucking uh, 13 year old is uh, <laughs> is heading over to Song meanings to write about the Pixies.
1: Oh, my God. Um, Lady Mutilation, tremendous track. An- an- another strong one. Like, we're. They're just stringing them together right out of the gate. Fantastic.
0: All right, track four.
1: Track four. Here we go.
0: Should mention these are all just like quick hits, right? This album runs less than forty minutes.
1: It's so good, right? Like, like you know, it's it's a little frustrating because a good song you want to hear more, but I I'd, I'd say in this uh, case it really it really works. Here's I bleed anyway, folks.
0: It's not-
1: Nice. Uh, From Billboard.com It's hard to imagine Weezer's Undone The Sweater song existing without this creeping rumination on God knows what. The out-of-sync vocal interplay between Ranting Francis and Deadpan Deal echoes the music which goes from Frankel to Thrashing in a cool 2 minutes and 40 seconds. Nice. Again, that whole quiet to loud dynamic just works. Um, mm. On SongMeetings.com commenter Zombies After Me says this. A teacher of mine said this song is about a story in the Old Testament. I really haven't bothered to read much of the Bible, so I really can't back this with much info. (laughs) Thank you. All right. (laughs) Thank you very much. Zombies after me. What a a, a great contribution. What
0: a a great teacher.
1: Ah, Just a good little song. You
0: would love to be in that class, a teacher talking about the Pixies.
1: That would be great. No, there, it, nothing. Not much sunk in with zombies after me.
0: Uh, keep in mind, everybody. Uh, keep in mind, all of you about us that you yeah. know, uh, yes. going to French Immersion School in Manitoba. The only artists that we heard about were Rock Vozin
1: and Villain Penguin.
0: Yeah. So, healing <laughs>
1: things you do.
0: Oh. So uh, yeah, we didn't <laughs> talk much about the Pixies <laughs> when we <laughs> went to school.
1: Rest, you see? See, at me, <laughs> God. Oh, we had such squares as teachers too. Anyway, um, let's move on to track five. Shall we? Oh, peep that reverb. Nice. Right up your alley. Um, here comes your man. Uh, the second single, released on June 1st, 1989, peaked at number three on Billboard's Alternative Rock Songs Alternative Songs chart on July 15th, 1989. Uh, behind, here we go at number two, Public Image Limited's "Disappointed," <laughs> and uh, the number one track that week, Love and Rockets," so alive.
0: Ooh, all right.
1: Not a bad you, week. Those alternative rock charts are fun to read through. I, I, I definitely recommend going to Billboard and going through like late '80s alternative rock charts. They're tremendous, and they're weird too, as we'll get we'll see a little later. Um, overall, this uh, "Here Comes Your Man" spent 14 weeks on the chart. The B sides of this single: uh, a UK surf version of "Wavy Mutilation" and two tracks, one called "Into the White" and "Bailey's Walk." Um, "Here Comes Your Man" was originally recorded for the band's 1987 "Purple Tape." Black Francis recalled that he wrote Here Comes Your Man around the time he was about the age of 14 or 15, so it had been in his back pocket for quite a while. According to producer Paul Coldery, the group referred to this as their Tom Petty song. <laughs> okay. Uh, from Billboard.com, in a perfect world, this would have been the Pixies' Stamp. that goofy trifle that demystified R.E.M. and finally got noticed outside of college rock circles. Maybe the audiences could tell Francis' deceptively sunny ditty is actually about the calm that precedes a catastrophic earthquake. Um, From Song Facts, Frank Black has said that the song was about hobos traveling by train and dying in a big earthquake in California. Again, he started writing it when he was 15 and was inspired by small earthquakes he experienced growing up in California. Again, Billboard has broken it down. Uh, Frank Black has said exactly what it means. Here's what song meanings has decided it It means. <laughs> uh, co- there is much debate about this on com. It's actually quite... It's probably not ongoing, but at one point, there was a lot of debate about this uh, being either about the dropping of the atomic bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, or about it being a homage to the Velvet Underground's I'm Waiting for the Man. Um, however, commenter Carolyn Lee says, I think it's about when Lou Reed's drug dealer finally shows up. <laughs> <laughs> i love sassy comments all right so good they're way off the mark by the way um on song meanings according to the wiki a music video co-directed by neil pollock and jonathan beckermeyer to promote the single shows the band playing its instruments through a distorted fisheye lens the camera variously, variously panning horizontally across the performance space and vertically over the individual band members keeping in the spirit of the mind performance francis and kim Deal open and shut their mouths in time with their pre-recorded vocals, yet make no attempt to articulate their lips in sync with the words that they're supposed to be singing. Instead, they keep their mouths wide open with blank expressions for the duration of each verse. That's Sass, right there.
0: That's amazing.
1: Uh, that is Here Comes Your Man, a standout track on Doolittle. Fantastic.
0: I, one, I mean, I, this is one of the songs that was a staple at, uh, at the old indie club. And, yes. And uh, initially I was like, eh, it's all right. And uh, I mean, over time, this is fantastic.
1: Absolutely. Fantastic track. Let's go to track six.
0: We can't think of this would be fun to drum.
1: Yes. Pixies get a little RD here for the first time on the album. creepy a little spooky Uh, fittingly the track dead i'm scared it's scary uh billboard.com had this to say the biblical story of david david and Bathsheba get gets an awesome retelling with this tune a screeching grinding thing that opens up midway through and reveals itself to be a feel-good groover what do you know francis asked just before the guitars get all serrated again good question fantastic little track that driving beat. I like but I know this. what you're all wanting. I know what you're all waiting for.
0: Oh, what do they have to say? What is it well, really about?
1: about? Commenter underscore Ellie says, "You're gonna love this one. Suitably filthy song for the unsuitable and filthy deeds of King David. <laughs> it's
0: all dirty deeds.
1: I love filthy deeds. <laughs> so good." You know what? I, I'm convinced. i thinking of Deeds. Is the only good thing about that fucking Adam Sandler movie is when they always call him Deeds.
0: <laughs> that's the only good thing, yes. it's The
1: only good thing about I'll hey, Deeds. And I can't help but laugh. Um, now, oh, hang on. That's what, that's what commenter underscore Ellie said. Uh, user Borek says, I love this track. He makes the Bible sound as a pervert book.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I just, I like... I know sometimes people write shit as jokes. Yes. But I just want to believe it's all real. That there are people <laughs> who listen to this and, it, and it's just so fascinating what they, what they get out of music. Yep. It's wonderful.
1: As a pervert book. That's fantastic. <laughs> anyway, Dead, uh, good little track. And now we get to, well, this is my favorite track. Here we go, number seven.
0: Of course, the singles. Of
1: course, the singles. <laughs> Control the sea. Listen to those cellos. Uh, we get some Monkey Gone to Heaven. Track 7. Yes, this might be my favorite Pixie song. I am not cool. <laughs> the first <laughs> single released on March 20th, 1989. Uh, I believe in March 20th, 1989, I was probably listening to Tiffin. Nice. So there we go, her second album, Uh, whatever it was called. Anyway, um, peaked at number five on Billboard's Alternative uh, Songs chart on June 3rd, 1989, behind. Here we go. Number four was Joe Jackson's 19 Forever. Okay. Number three was The Cult's Firewoman. And my eyebrow just kind of went up a little alternative. Okay. Um, Love and Rocket's So Alive is is creeping its way up the charts to number one uh, uh, a couple months later. And The Cure's Fascination Street was number one.
0: Oh, so So, alternative.
1: So alternative. Overall, it spent 11 weeks on the chart. Melody Maker named this as 1989's Single of the Year. In 2004, Rolling Stone would list it at number 410 in their 500 greatest songs of all time. So, you know, I have good taste. Me and and Rolling Stone. The B-sides to Monkey Gone to Heaven. Manta Ray, Weird at My School, and Dancing the Manta Ray. Um, I love when singles have multiple tracks And B-sides that are like You can't find anywhere else Tremendous Uh, From Billboard.com Had Francis come along 3,000 years earlier He'd have been a prophet, not a rocker Here he offers up some enigmatic Old Testament style numerology Telling us man is five, the devil is six And God is seven There's eerie beauty behind this doomy rambling Even when he's foretelling ecological disaster With those lines about the sludge In New York and New Jersey
0: Yes, but is he he writing about the pervert book,
1: though? I, I, (laughs) as a pervert book.
0: Yes. (laughs)
1: Um, From Song Facts, regarding the number part of the song, Frank Black said in an interview with the Alternative Press, it's a reference from what I understand to be Hebrew numerology, and I don't know a lot about it or any of it, really. I just remember someone telling me of the supposed fact that the Hebrew language, especially in the Bible, you can find lots of references to man in the fifth and Satan in the sixth and God in the seventh. I didn't go to the library and figure it out. So someone just told him something and he remembered it.
0: Well, maybe you could go to the library and figure it out. If you weren't busy stealing fucking posters from, <laughs> from <laughs> magazines.
1: Now, Frank black explained, you know, billboard taught, you know, they explain it, but you know, songmeanings.com. Oh, please. There, there's obviously lots of debate about monkey gone. To Heaven. The only comment that stood out to me really was this one. Mm hmm. Uh, commenter where.is.my.mind says, Frank Black's real name is Charles Thompson.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Wait, that's what Uh, the song is about. Apparently. (laughs) All right.
1: Uh, according to the Wickeye, the music video, The Pixies First, features the band playing their instruments on a stage with the camera alternating to focus on each band member. Filmed in black and white, searchlights cross the stage and several camera effects are used. Such a slow motion. Blah, blah, blah. It's a standard Pixies video. You, you, my favorite Pixies video is Valuria, where it's just slow motion of them running over rocks. Mm-hmm. Such a boring video. <laughs> so good. Uh, Monkey Gone to Heaven, one of my favorite songs to sing on, rock band.
0: Oh, that is correct. Yes.
1: And uh, what would be my other one? You know it.
0: Well, the fucking Elvis Costello song. Or oh, do you mean by the Pixies?
1: No, no, my other favorite rock band song to sing.
0: I can't, I, I, mean, I mean, I know you like that Elvis Costello song.
1: I do. But, but that's not but, the uh, one, is it? But you, you, you are wrong. It is Alice in Chains, Man in the Box.
0: Ah, yes.
1: I also enjoy Kings of Leon, Sex on Fire.
0: Oh, yeah, you certainly do. We're going to have to bust that out sometime.
1: Oh, my God. Uh, let's move on to track eight. Shall we? Yes, we shall. forever oh god
0: <laughs> get a move on hope everything is all right now they're
1: singing <clears throat> yep mr greaves right. from billboard.com it's back to the ocean with this surf punk puzzler What's that floating in the water, Francis asked, just before Santiago's upstroked reggae chords turn fuzzy and the lyrics get even fuzzier. Francis keeps saying that he hopes everything is all right, but he's clearly relishing whatever strangeness has crept over the coast.
0: I love that. That's
1: great. Uh, Over on Song Facts, a rather aggressive song. This would have fit well on the previous Pixies album. Coming up with it was like going back to our older, harder, punky style. Drummer David Lovering told Music Radar. It was a nod back to our club days where we had to go all out. To me, it almost sounds like it could have been on Surfer Rosa. Um, Over on songmeanings.com, commenter Gabardine Angus says, Don't really really know why, but Mr. Greaves makes me think of a very well-dressed and well-read Grim Reaper with the top hat cane and briefcase. Obviously, this is my fucked up imagery and probably mine alone, but the addition of an anti-establishment idea can only be a good thing. Okay. What an imagination. So thank you. I do enjoy a Grim Reaper with a top hat, though. It's
0: like the Monopoly man.
1: <laughs> He's all dashing. <laughs> Walks up to you, all tips it. <laughs> That's Mr. Greaves for you, folks. Let's go to track nine.
0: Jose Jones Told me
1: All right, tell us. Crackity Jones, folks. From Billboard.com. It's always a good time when Francis sings in Spanish, though no one is having more fun than David Lovering, who puts on a menacing hardcore punk beat behind Santiago's demonic Dick Dale riffing. Yes. The uh, former roommate Francis reportedly wrote the tune about must have been a real character. So according to the Wickeye here, folks, because Crackity Jones has its own entry on the the Wickeye. Nice. Black Francis was on a six-month trip to San Juan, Puerto Rico. Uh, The song's lyrics describe a stinking island that is 30 miles by 100 miles long. As an exchange student, as part of his college degree, he found himself in a squalid high-rise apartment, uh, in the song describing it as a crazy all-male dormitory, uh, waiting for his assigned roommate to show up. Francis later described meeting his roommate. He didn't show up for about a month. First thing he said to me, he had cut his finger or something, I had never even met him. It was like out of a David Lynch movie. <laughs> okay. okay. Francis continued to live with the roommate, but the roommate's rants about Fred Flintstone and the voices in his head tested Francis's patience. He returned to Boston after six months to start the Pixies with Joey Santiago.
0: I love a guy ranting about Fred Flintstone.
1: <laughs> uh, he, uh, in the song, he does reference the, uh, what Fred Flintstones is called in Spanish, and I can't find it in front of me yet, but it's funny. Um... Now, that being said, the the song has its own Wiki entry. Black Francis has said what the song's about. But what's it really about? SongMeanings.com. What's it really about? SongMeanings.com commenter Sable Jester says, Ha ha, I always think of crack (laughs) withdrawals, i.e. Jones. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Ha ha, indeed. So funny. Uh, Anyway, uh, fun little track. Uh, and now we go on to track number 10.
0: Oh, it's the penis beat.
1: Yes, it is. I didn't notice that. Dennis penis, so happy. Chicken butt. It doesn't sound right, though, unless on a drum pad.
0: No, it doesn't. Oh, that's saucy. plays
1: guitar. We got La 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 P- billboard.com, this is what passes for a sex jam on Planet (laughs) Pixie. Hammering it up in the role of frontman, Lovering tries for crooner but comes off more like Cameron in that Ferris Bueller scene where he calls Principal Rooney and pretends to be Sloane's dad. So, uh, uh, Kenneth uh, Partridge really reaching here for something to say. (laughs) About a, a, I would say, a fairly well-known Pixie song. Um, On songmeetings.com, commenter Doobie Doobie Dude says... (laughs) It's about telling someone that you love them just so you could bang them.
0: (laughs) Doobie dude. Doobie doobie dude.
1: Doobie doobie dude. Nice. You know what? Nails it. Lala Love You. I like this track. Um, I believe this is a song that the Pixies hate to play. I believe. I might be wrong on that, but I'm pretty sure I'm right.
0: Nice.
1: Nice. There you go. Uh, let's, we're, we're, uh, oh wow, we're running up against time here. Now, track 11.
0: Because we impose a time limit on, limit on ourselves, but we don't. Oh,
1: yeah. Yes. Love it. Number 13, baby. i Billboard from Billboard.com. Driving appropriately enough two tracks before the real number 13 the album's 11th cut is perhaps the most skippable, if only because they do the delayed detonation uh, thing better elsewhere. At 3.51, it's also the longest song on Doolittle. That's tremendous. By the way,
0: disagree with with skippable. Totally disagree. No, it's not
1: skippable at all. It's great. Um, And the extra time gives Santiago a chance to step out in front and melt some minds as only he can. I agree on that. I love this song. Uh, On songmeetings.com, user Gilbag says... This song is about his infatuation with brown-skinned honeys. <laughs> the taste for them he developed when he was abroad. Oh, so, Okay. You know, some deep thoughts over <laughs> on songmeetings.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, number 13, baby. I think it's a great track. And uh, that's about all I got to say about that. Love those brown-skinned honeys. <laughs> yeah.
0: All right. Here we go. Uh,
1: Track 12. So we got There Goes My Gun Uh, from Billboard.com. Someone's making off with Francis' firearm. And while this might seem like cause for concern, he and Beal shrug it off. With their shared vocal Musically Pixies are in Surf Noir mode Hanging ten in the pale moonlight So maybe they figure The gun thief won't have much luck Firing the thing in water okay. This dude is just starting to unravel His whole his whole thing uh-huh. It starts off pretty good Like Kenneth Partridge Rolling early on And it's just It's really tapering off here um, On songmeanings.com Commenter Bin Trying says This song does not make any sense <laughs>
0: Well, thank you for Again, posting on Song Meetings. It,
1: yeah, this song, I believe, had 14 comments. One of them being, I, and I, I'm going to try and nail this because I didn't write it down, but they were like, Did you, uh, here comes your man, and there goes my gun? And they, they, they pointed each word out and how similar and opposite they were, and it was stupid. Okay, then. This is going to be the standout track for us. Track 13.
0: <laughs> hey! <laughs> hey! 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 <laughs> Been trying.
1: yes so sass Um, our track is hence 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 from billboard.com Santiago does his version of a funky blues uh, of funky blues as Francis returns to the bible for inspiration is this the sound that the mother makes when her finger breaks Francis asks as if he's not even sure what to make of the unholy racket he and his bandmates are making I had to like blink twice to see if that's really what he wrote. Um, on songmeanings.com though, however, yes. commenter OMG Haley says get ready for this. Just discovered this song after watching Zach and Miri make a porno. And OMG, I've listened to it a lot.
0: Alright. That movie so, is that movie is underrated.
1: I just love the context. <laughs> like, hey, I love this song because of this movie, OMG. So there we go. Um, we're 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 getting down the nitty gritty, as Gorilla Monsoon would say. Um, we're getting down the last two tracks. Here's track fourteen.
0: Yes. Okay. Oh, get started. There we go. All right.
1: All right, Silver um, from Billboard.com. A tumbleweed blows across the landscape. As Francis and make play make-believe gunfighters over a spooky spaghetti western backing, just when you thought they were making a space epic, they cowboy up. So, he gets a little bit of his uh, sass back. So All right. good job, Kenneth Partridge. Nice. On songmeetings.com, commenter Express Welding, which sounds like a, like, business, <laughs> Yeah, says, I like this track, partly because I know gau Away is next. I gotta say, I, I admire the, uh, the the candor and the little joke. So you, well just, done.
0: you just anticipate the goodness? You no, know, like, I like
1: it, because it, it reminds me that, the, that my favorite track is coming up next. And you know what? I, I, I think there's a lot of us could uh, have been there before. It's great. Uh, Silver. I, I think it's a good song. Nothing wrong with it. But uh, now we get to good stuff. Track 15. songs where they sing right off the top is hard I know
0: right what do we do yeah.
1: what do we do do I let them sing a little bit or do I talk anyway, I'm gonna talk gouge away the uh the uh the, the capper on this uh, beautiful album from billboard.com Doolittle starts with slicing so it might as well end with gouging the thrilling finale is apparently about Samson and Delilah but it feels as surreal as Debaser just like that we're back at square one super confused but ready to grab a distortion pedal and start a band okay
0: alright then here we go. From
1: Song Facts. Oh. There we go. I love Gowdhury.
0: Love it.
1: Uh, from Song Facts, Pixies drummer David Lovering told Music Radar, it's the perfect example of a true Pixie song. It's got the quiet verse and it goes all out for the chorus. The way it's structured, it's two opposing layers. I remember when we recorded it, I thought it was the most compelling thing we ever did. He's not wrong. It's a really good song. Uh, what did they say over at Song Meetings? Well, user Mona11. A hey, Mona...
0: Hey, Mona, Anthony, <laughs> Angela, Angela.
1: Samantha. Hey, oh, oh, hey. <laughs> Jamie Maselli.
0: Hey, that's you.
1: Yep. Uh, because one time I said, cool.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and forever. I
1: <laughs> You couldn't stop calling. Such a dumb,
0: <laughs> like, non-sequitur joke.
1: Yourself. Yep. Um, On the songmeans.com, user Mona11 says, makes me think of a sex and drug binge for three days in a bedroom so cool Mona give slip a call
0: <laughs> please
1: hit him up on, on the twets. yeah after.
0: nice
1: uh that's gouge away that's the uh that's the end of this album's tracks um the 25th anniversary package for Doolittle included two bonus discs the first bonus disc had seven tracks from an october 9th 1989 peel session uh, along with the B-sides to the two 1989 singles we mentioned previously. So it was jam-packed, full of B-sides and a Peel Session. Um, the second bonus disc is a uh, basically 22 Doolittle demos. So uh, I, don't, I, I haven't checked out those. I've checked out uh, hmm. the Peel Session, and not it's tremendous. Re- not a real fan. Not a real fan. So it's at this point in the uh, podcast here where we talk about the reviews. Yes. Um, not a lot to find from the back in the day. Of course, this was a pretty, uh, you know, an indie album, so not a lot of reviews. Uh, it was pretty well received when it was released. It's grown in stature over the years, which is a, pretty much a, um, a standard here on Albums Are Dead. Um, the Wickeye's professional rating scores, Fact Box. So if you go to the Wickeye, there's a little Fact Box.
0: Uh
1: huh. And um, it gives, uh, here's the breakdown 10 out of 10 from NME, 5 out of 5 from All Music. Rolling Stone and Blender, four to four from the Chicago Tribune and four to five from the LA Times. So very highly rated album. Uh, In July 1989, Rolling Stone's Chris Mundy said this about Doolittle. Uh, On Doolittle, producer Gil Norton showcases the Pixies at their most diverse, distilling the band's sound and relying heavily on the strong rhythm section of Kim Deal and David Lovering. The pace of the songs ranges from the breakneck speed of Crackety Jones to the more relaxed and melodic pop of Here Comes Your Man. Even the imagery is diverse on Hey! (laughs) Francis sings Must be a devil between us or whores in my head While on La La Love You, Lovering takes over vocal duty, tongue firmly in cheek to sing All I'm saying, pretty baby La La Love You, don't mean maybe The emphasis on more textured production in no way has taken away from the band's intensity. Francis is at all times in command of the album, quietly stringing us along before turning on us and screaming for attention. He all fucking does the big heel turn (laughs) That's a great way to, to, to describe it they're all they all babyface it at the start, and then I'll turn heel on everybody.
0: Hey, it's so true.
1: It's uh, it's about time everyone started taking notice. So uh, a nice review from Rolling Stone. There was no uh, star rating back then attached to it. Like we said later, they would uh, go back and give it five out of five. Um, uh, this wouldn't be uh, a complete review from uh, a complete breakdown of the reviews without going over to the Village Voice. Uh huh. Rob Criscow gave this a B plus. According to his grades legend, a B-plus means it is a good record, at least one whose sides can be played with lasting interest, and the other of which includes at least one enjoyable cut. So, in his review, Chris Gow said, They're in love and they don't know why, with rock and roll, which is heartening in a time when so many college dropouts have lost touch with the Verities. You can tell from the bruising riffs, the rousing choruses, the cute little bass melodies, the solid, if changeable, beat. But not from any words they sing. They'll improve in direct relation to their improved contact with the outside world. Getting famous too fast could ruin them. So, not terribly glowing from Chris Gow. You want to hear it?
0: Yes, I do, please. Come on. Uh, in
1: 2014. Yes. Our pals at Pitchfork. Yes. Reviewed the Pixie's entire catalog. Ooh. And gave Doolittle. Ten out of motherfucking ten. Oh
0: yeah, pitchfork. Woo! Yes,
1: yeah, saying Doolittle is their most famous album, and for understandable reasons, it's even it's more even keel than Surferosa and Better mannered too. for going the harsh live sound of Steve Albini for the lush, almost folksy one of Gil Norton. You know, it's so pitchfork to all hate Steve Albini. <laughs> <laughs> of course. All, it is. I have to have a dig in on Steve Albini, right? Surferosa, one of the greatest albums, like of the eighties, and they're all like it's Steve Albini, so, you know, not as good. Um, uh, who, uh, Gil Norton, who had previously worked with the marshmallows like Echo and the Bunny Man. Its songs take aim at the big things, important art, and is sometimes supposed to do good and evil, environmental ruin, Bible stories, death. Monkey Gone to Heaven features some allegory about the ozone layer, which in the late 80s had the same conversational weight and place as climate change. Gouge Away flirts with Catholicism. Hey! is uh, practically there like a prayer, an oblique gospel anchored by the premise that we too may one day break free of our earthly bonds and ascend, a trope Art has worked with for much longer than and rock music has been around. So, uh, a glowing review from Pitchfork with some, you know, usual heavy-handed text going with it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the tour. If you want to talk, uh, we'll touch on that quickly Do it. before we wrap up. Uh, following the release of Doolittle, Pixies opened their tour in Brighton, UK, on April 19th, 1989, so right after it was released, playing clubs and festivals, so they were selling that shit hard. Uh, They left the island for the continent on May 13th, playing Germany, Greece, Yugoslavia, so uh, they were in Zagreb, which is now Croatia, Italy, Spain, etc., etc., etc. They played Glastonbury on June 16th. Check it out on YouTube, it's So legit. Now I love them. Yes. (laughs) Their last European show was in Paris at the Bataclan on July 7th. Uh, July twenty second, nineteen eighty nine. They opened their North American dates at the Moore Theater in Seattle. They played First Ave in Minneapolis. Nice. On August eleventh, and they played the CNE in Toronto on August twenty
0: eighth. Oh my goodness! Yeah. On August most the day, during the CNE. Nice.
1: Yeah. Nice. Uh, the tour wrapped up in on November thirtieth, nineteen eighty nine, at the Ritz in New York City. Now I pulled all this from the Pixies website. It shows you all their all their all their shows year by year on the Pixies website though. They it says right after their May, uh, November 30th appearance at the Ritz in New York City, it has December 1st, 1989, New York City, Saturday Night Live. Okay. Yeah, yeah. This is on the Pixies official website. This, of course, is not true. <laughs> um, first off, December 1st, 1989, is a Friday night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Second, the musical guest that weekend on SNL was Katie, L- Katie Lang in the Reclines. Okay. So it was not the Pixies. Uh, thirdly, the Pixies have never played Saturday Night Live, so um, I believe, uh, when I, I did I, I just did a bit of looking and I looked at the, I actually went to the videotape of what I believe is the show they're referencing this is a, um, they're likely referencing an appearance they made on a show called Michelob Presents Night Music <laughs> where, they, where they perform Monkey Gone to Heaven and Tame um, not SNL so I thought that was a fun little tidbit eh,
0: potato potato
1: hey, Pixies, lying <laughs> So great! They're lying to you. Unlike here on, on albums are dead, we never lie.
0: Never, never, no. Always tell the truth.
1: Always tell the truth. I'm gonna tell the truth right now. I fucking love this album. It's tremendous. Um, it's one of those ones you just got to you know pop on the headphones or put it on the old hi-fi, turn off the lights, and just fucking enjoy it. It's good stuff. Um, ten out of ten from me.
0: Tremendous. Uh, I'll give it. Um, I'll give it a nine and a half. Nice. You know, you got to hold back. I can't. I, I can't. I can't give it all away. I'm not like you. And uh, obviously, you know, uh, the singles a little too mainstream for me. I'm like you. <laughs>
1: yeah, of course. I'm like me. Uh, uh, it could use a bit of film on vocals. <laughs> uh,
0: yes, it definitely could. Absolutely. Yeah, well, and what could... yeah, exactly. Uh, no, love it. Great album. Um, my favorite Ooh. Pixies album too. Oh, oh, what? Wow. I have a question. Yes. Do you have it on vinyl? I do. Yes. I do have it on vinyl. That's going to
1: be our new, that's got to be our new running question.
0: A new, a reissue, not the original, but, uh, you know, a new pressing, but yes, I do have it. Well done. And it was cheap too. Uh, cheap too. Yeah. Like a cheap pickup on vinyl. So yes. go and pick it up if you can, everyone.
1: When you were prepping for the show, did you listen to it on vinyl?
0: No, I did, you did listen
1: to it on Spotify. Yes. Of course. Good work, buddy. Um, what do you got cooking for us th- for next week?
0: Next week, we are going to um, change course from a low-selling album, yes, to a massively high-selling album, which seems to be my mo on the show. <laughs> yep. We've covered albums like I have covered albums like Thriller, yes, the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack, yes, and now we are going to talk about Fleetwood Mac's Rumors from 1977, one of the highest-selling yes. albums of, of all time. And, uh, yeah, lots of interesting stories from that one. No. Uh, So stay tuned.
1: No, there's no stories from that one. That Wickeye's got to be fucking bone thin.
0: You will see a a, a Wickeye entry where every song on the album has its own entry. So good.
1: It's all your work already done for you. So great.
0: (laughs) Thank you for all the people out there who pieced it together on Wickeye, and I will uh, borrow your content.
1: Excellent. Um, With that, that's Albums Are Dead, episode 17. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I'm at megamix.com.
0: And I'm Slip with Five Eyes or Slip.
1: We'll see you next week with that Fleetwood Mac, folks. Good Do night. it. Go.